Hi everyone, my name is Masarat and I serve as the Associate Director of Campus Activities and Events at Clemson University. I'm also happy to be your host for the NASA Leadership Podcast presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. Today we'll be discussing the re recently released issue of New Directions in Student Leadership, Mentoring, Coaching, and Advising, and I'm thrilled to welcome the editors of the issue today. My first guest is Dr. Lindsay Hastings. Lindsay is the Clifton Professor in Mentoring Research and Director of Nebraska Human Resources Institute, a, a leadership mentoring organization at the University of Nebraska. Lindsay teaches courses in leadership theory and interpersonal skills for leadership, and her research interests include generative leadership and social responsibility. My second guest is Dr. Cindy Kane, who is the Special Assistant to the Provost for Strategic Initiatives at Bridgewater State University and also serves as the Director of Student Involvement and Leadership. Cindy is a previous board, uh, previous board of directors member and currently active volunteer with the National Association for Campus, for Campus Activities, currently serving on the advisory board to launch the new Journal of Campus Activities Practice and Scholarship. In addition, Cindy was a 2016-2017 fellow with the American Council on Education. She's a proud parent of a 13-year-old emerging leader, a Yankees fan living in Red Sox Nation, and a social media fan who believes in its ability to foster powerful connections between people. Welcome, Lindsay and Cindy. Thanks, well, thank you. Well, thanks so much to, to both of y'all for joining us. I thought we could just start by getting to know y'all a little bit better as people and professionals. So, Cindy, if you could start us off. Uh, I know that you spend a lot of uh, a lot of time watching your 13-year-old uh, play baseball, and I know he's primarily a pitcher. So, what is his best pitch? <laughs> if you asked him, he would say all of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think his best pitch is probably um, the next one that he's going to do. Um, he, you know, he loves to be in the game, loves to be in the moment, and even when things are going badly, um, it's been really fun to watch this kid kind of develop his ability to, to function under stressful situations. I think pitching is sort of like uh, sort of like golf and uh, tennis, where it's just it's like a very uh, sort of public solitary walk, you know, yeah. I and mean, you're really, you're really out there. I remember what, uh, I used to live in Washington, D.C., and there was this, uh, this pretzel bakery there that we like to go to, and it was right beside this little league field, and, um, and just every once in a while, my partner and I uh, would just sit there and, like, you know, watch as we were eating our pretzels afterwards, and just saw some of the most, like, epic meltdowns from, like, some, t <laughs> you know, like, some, you know, some adolescents just, you know, like, absolutely crumbling. I saw one guy, there, there was one, uh, there was one kid who, he threw, like, 20 straight balls, and mm -hmm. it was, I mean, he was just melting out there. It was really, I was like, that's some, uh. And talk about resiliency. Put a kid out there in the picture right? and see how that. I mean, did you ever watch the parents during those interactions? Because it's also very <laughs> stressful for mom and dad. Oh <laughs> Probably gosh. more for mom, but <laughs> this mom at least. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, that's what definitely what I've learned is however stressful um, I think it is, he's fine out there. So it's it's been lots yeah. of fun to watch him develop that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lindsay, to sort of pivot to a different passion, I know that you spent a lot of your life around horses. So, what brought what brought you to what brought you to that passion? Sure. Uh, well, my parents raised quarter horses as kind of a side gig, and so I grew up showing horses. Uh, my dad is a legit cowboy; he ropes. He's a calf roper and team roper. Um, you know, as an adult. Uh, my parents used to live in Oklahoma, and my dad called me um, and said, Hey, Lindsay, I've got uh, too many horses and not enough pasture space. Will you take one of them? And I said, Well, yeah, sure. So I brought one up there, and I just was reminded that what a piece of soul food um, horses are for me. And, you know, 
horses are a very powerful metaphor for how we work with students, I've learned, and even how I parent, and that especially when I'm working with young horses, my job, my number one job, is to help them tackle a new challenge while keeping their head. And I've realized that that's a really powerful metaphor for how we work with students and how I parent uh, toddlers. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, great. Um, so, Cindy, uh, your bio is probably the first that really made me want to, like, ask a follow-up <laughs> question. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I would say that you were probably, probably, you know, drifting towards more of the minority on your, uh, on your belief in the power of social media. So um, what, what led you to have, like, such a sincere and lasting belief in, uh, in the power of social media to make lasting connections? Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. We've, we've definitely got uh, a lot of conversation that needs to be had um, among educators as well as with our students. But, you know, I think what drove me toward that was personal experience. Um, you know, when I jumped on the, you know, the world of Twitter, for example, it was largely because of budget restrictions on my own campus that was forcing me to think a little differently about my connection with professional communities. Um, you know, going to travel to a national conference every, every year was not necessarily always going to be in my future. And I needed to figure out how I was going to stay connected and stay aware of trends. Um, at the time, I was also, you know, parenting a very young kid and, you know, in a job that's definitely not nine to five, trying to figure out how to stay connected and still fit it in. Um, so social media was where I landed, and the relationships that I've developed because of it um, have been really significant in my professional life as well as personal life. Um, you know, even through writing my dissertation, the connections that I depended on uh, you know, across the country uh, were largely formed through um, the world of mostly Twitter. Um, so I think just personal experience has really led me to see the power and potential that's out there. Um, and I think it has the power for a lot of positive connections if we you know, educate the users and uh, let all of our colleagues see possibilities in that way. So you know, even in my current role, um, looking at the role that our social media outlets play with students and in developing community, and you know, in my role in academic affairs, trying to figure out uh, what we can do to contribute to the professional space on the topic of academic innovation and how we can look toward connections with other institutions that we can find online. Um, it's just a real different space and I really do believe that there's great possibilities there. There's also possibilities for negative as well and we have to address both, but I still remain optimistic that there's great opportunity. Okay, all right. So Lindsay, you mentioned in our, in our pre-call about how uh, you love to bake pie. So if you had to impress someone with a pie, somebody was coming over and you really had to you know, put a good foot forward, uh, which pie would you bake and why? Oh, such a good question. Well, my signature go-tos are coconut cream and apple. Um, but my fave to bake is blueberry pie. But actually, I was, as I was thinking about this question, I thought, you know what's cool about baking pie is that this is going to sound counterintuitive, but what I love about it is that it's laborious, and it really does take a lot of time and effort to make. But when you make it for someone, it really is a labor of love. Um, so that's what I've come to love about baking pie. Okay. Um, all right. So, Cindy, I'm going to ask you what, uh, what our editor Morgan calls the uh, signature question of the podcast. So 
That's uh, uh, generally a tough one that people normally sigh when I, answer, when I ask it. So uh, what is the best book about leadership? Well, first, that's a lot of pressure. Second, <laughs> can we, we keep talking about pie. That would be better because <laughs> now I'm hungry. But third, I would say, um, you know, obviously we're all immersed in, you know, literature and leadership all the time. Um, so, you know, two actually came to mind um, largely because of my current roles on campus and what I've been up to lately. But um, I would say for students, I've really enjoyed the, you know, tried and true um, leader's legacy uh, by Kuzis and Posner, I find that um, the stu students are able to really gravitate toward that and in some of the leadership settings that we have that aren't credit-based, um, it's enough to get them reading and it's pr practical enough to get them talking uh, without having to expect um, an academic experience uh, from their conversation. So that's definitely one of my go-to books with students. Uh, but I also want to give a nod to one I just read that's more about the leadership in higher ed context, um, which is Redesigning Collegiate Leadership uh, by Benson and Newman. It was recommended to me during the ACE Fellowship, and I really just love the way it analyzes leadership in the higher ed context. And I learned a lot about developing team and executive leadership settings on campuses. So I would give a nod to both of those. All right. Well, I think you handled that. I think you handled that well, and you did what most people do, where you where you listed multiple options. Yeah. So that's uh, so, so that's good. That's good. Um, okay, Lindsay, uh, close us off in this section with this. Um, I know that I know that you and your uh, you and your kids like to do something called nature walks. So, can you tell us w what that is unique to your family, and what kind of joy do you find in that experience with, sure. with those folks? Well, nature walks. Uh, it really is quite simple. We put on our shoes and we go outside and we find trees. <laughs> um, so, what what I love about it simply, it is very cheap entertainment uh, with with two kids. But uh, what actually what I've come to love about it are about three things. One is that we are constantly managing screen time as parents, right? Mm -hmm. And what I love about Nature Walks is that we put on our shoes and we go outside and we don't worry about that stuff. Um, so I, I, I find that to be just refreshing, that I don't have to spend the majority of my day managing screen time amounts. Um, secondly, what I love about it is it, it creates this, this whole fun around inquiry. You know, what, what is that? Let's figure it out. Oh, that's interesting. What do you think that is? And half the time, I don't know either. Um, so we're, we're having some fun learning together. But it, everything that we're doing together is around this inquiry-based idea. Like, what, what is that? Let's figure it out. Um, third, I think when we spend the majority of our time outside, we sleep better, we're happier, we're a little nicer to each other. Uh, so nature walks serve uh, multiple purposes for me. Okay, awesome, awesome. So, Cindy, let's dive into the dive into the leadership conversation. Um, I, I enjoyed uh, enjoyed looking through this issue, which is out now. Um, what surprised y'all in the process of editing? Oh wow! Well, I think between the two of us, I'm probably the less experienced writer in this power duo, and I think um, you know surprises for me were some to do with my own professional development through the writing process uh, and really just discovering what a kind of what a journey it was um, between Lindsay and I and learning how to work together um, but also with each of the chapter authors 
And I was just so um, I was humbled and grateful for the way they kind of um, connected in with us and worked through thinking about their pieces of this topic. So I think I might have had an impression that all of us just kind of come in with a ready-made chapter in mind, um, but I really did appreciate the, the process of, of all of this. Um, you know, another surprise, which I think I, I knew intuitively, but once we put all the topics together, um, it's a really great feeling when you know that you're contributing something unique. And as Lindsay and I looked at literature in each of these separate contexts of mentoring, coaching, and advising, uh, we talked a lot about um, the need for greater understanding of each of these concepts separately, but the fact that we haven't had the discussion about all three together uh, was a surprise to me, and just it was great to contribute something a little unique and different um, into this space. Um, probably I think the third thing would be the surprise of how difficult it was for us to focus on these three relationships and specifically focusing them on the development of leadership capacity in students. Uh, I think when our writing kind of wandered a bit off focus, you know, in the editing and writing process, it was really helpful to come back to a focused result of these relationships. And how I was surprised by how important it, it was for me to look at my own practice and then ask myself again, you know, we're, we built this relationship for these students. What's the goal? What's the outcome? Um, and I appreciated the chance to focus a little bit. All right. So, Lindsay, the sort of so to sort of pivot there off of, off of those relationships that Cindy mentioned, um, this issue covers mentoring, coaching, and advising. I know those things are oftentimes confused with one another. So can you provide a quick definition of each to uh, provide a starting point for the rest of the conversation? Absolutely. You know, as Cindy mentioned, part of this writing process included helping us to really narrow in on when are we seeing mentoring for leadership development? When are we seeing coaching for leadership development? When are we seeing advising for leadership development? And how, how can we make sure that their scope and utility in leadership development, how they're described, are indeed distinct? And how do we go about um, articulating what those distinctions are? So to provide some context around that, where we landed was really when we're talking about mentoring for student leadership development, we're talking about long-term, we're talking one-on-one, -on -one, uh, we're talking a dynamic process of role modeling and reflection, really designed to amass knowledge and skills and self-confidence for both personal development as well as leadership empowerment. Coaching, on the other hand, when we're seeing coaching for leadership development, we're talking about a very formal, one-on-one, -on -one, individualized process that's really designed around leadership behavior modification and the impact of the coachee's leader behaviors um, for improved personal and organizational leadership effectiveness. Then when we talk about advising for leadership development, we're talking really about a structured relationship uh, between students and leadership educators, really built around the need to support thriving student organizations. So how do we make sure we're developing capacity for students who are involved in the organization so that th their application of that leadership capacity is designed to help the student organization thrive. Okay. All right. And so, Cindy, Lin Lindsay delineated how those notions uh, are distinct. How do you see mentoring, coaching, and advising as intersecting? 
Sure. Well, we talked a lot about this intersection topic as well and the intersections between two of the relationships uh, first. So, for example, intersection between coaching and advising, and Lindsay mentioned the structure that both of those relationships have in common. Uh, when you look at advising connected to mentoring, there's a, a holistic focus um, to both that may come forward in different ways or have kind of different outcomes in mind, but still a holistic focus. And then if you look at mentoring and coaching, um, that it's always a one-on-one -on -one type of relationship where you know, advising might be separate and might be more oriented toward a group, as Lindsay mentioned. So when you look at these relationships two by two, uh, there are some points in common. But then in the middle, uh, there's a couple of pieces. You know, always the relationship is of paramount importance. And I think in practice, we see this happen with students as well. You could be a student's advisor, but maybe not be coaching them on specific behavior or be regarded as a mentor. Uh, but no matter what, the relationship is of paramount um, priority in that uh, two by two. The goal also that all three have in common is that you know, development and transforming as individuals is a key outcome for the process. And then also, you know, you'll see common elements of you know, a challenge and support type of relationship happening and also a focus on assessment. Um, and if you uh, get the chance to read through the issue, you know, there's a whole chapter on assessment um, that really brings to light how uh, all three of these elements have that assessment piece in common, even though they may show up in different ways. All righty. So, um, Lindsay, I know you all walked away from this process with thoughts on the relationship between assessment, uh, between assessment, mentorship, advisement, and coaching. Um, can you summarize some of that takeaway uh, for folks who maybe haven't gotten access to the, who haven't accessed the issue yet, or maybe some, you know, some context that you all found that, that may not be found in the issue? Absolutely. I know for me, and, and I think I can speak on behalf of Cindy as well, some of the biggest ahas for me in this process is the whole notion around how do we assess mentoring for leadership development, coaching for leadership development, advising for leadership development, in that rarely is, it, is assessment part of a conversation when we're talking about these types of developmental interactions and that we don't go visit our mentor and then go take a quiz, right? <laughs> that seems odd. Uh, but at the same time, if we all generally recognize the power of mentoring, coaching, and advising in developing a student's leadership capacity, well, then we really need to be able to document growth through those developmental interactions and what are those developmental interactions offering to the development of student leadership capacity that other things are not, like workshops and programs. So uh, Dan Bureau and Justin Lawhead did a great job um, putting together a chapter looking at, okay, how can we look at leadership learning outcomes that would likely be impacted by mentoring, coaching, and advising. And what they did was they took the uh, Council for the Advancement of Standards uh, dimensions, and then they looked at what could be a potential outcome statement related to each of the CAS domains, and then how one would go about assessing that. So for example, one of the CAS domains is around knowledge acquisition, integration, construction, and application. Well, in thinking through that and thinking about coaching, knowing that it's a formal, individualized process around leadership behavior modification, well, then maybe it's a matter of, hey, through, by virtue of this coaching relationship, I should be able to have my coachee document how they're going to 
apply their leadership learning from, say, a workshop or program toward their campus leadership position, for example, or their desire uh, to be part of a campus leadership position. Um, additionally, another CAS domain is around cognitive complexity. When we think about mentoring, it would be well within reason to be able to look at some reflective processes, and that could be interviews, that could be reflective journaling, but looking at the difference between the first reflective journaling uh, initiative as part of a mentoring relationship versus the last reflection prompt and how are we seeing differences in a student's ability to demonstrate cognitive complexity. Uh, another CAS domain is around interpersonal competence. You know, how could we show through an advising relationship that a student organization president has documented growth in their ability to create a collaborative environment during meetings. Uh, so really the, the chapter on, on assessment in this NDSL uh, volume really uh, said to me, wow, we should be more intentional in making sure that we're documenting specific leadership growth by virtue of these developmental interactions. All right, perfect. So. Uh, Cindy, to sort of circle back to our conversation about social media earlier, the last chapter discusses digital spaces in conjunction with the topics of the issue. So how can folks prepare for more, uh, for more mentoring, coaching, and advising to exist in digital spaces? Yeah, this chapter is also another aha moment uh, for me. And Kathy Guthrie and Jason Merriweather did a great job with asking us to not only focus on the fact that things will be different in, you know, because of online education. Instead to think about how do we take what we know contributes to successful mentoring, coaching, and advising and reframe that in a digital environment. Uh, so for me, the takeaway from their great work was about that of an environment. So if instead we seem to focus on the pathway, right, for that learning. It's, well, are you taking that class face-to-face -face or via distance? And we don't get into the depth about what a distance environment might look like. So, you know, whether and it goes back to some of the things I already said about social media, you know, there's plenty of people in my life that served as coaches during my dissertation process for me from a distance. And how do we take the positive outcomes that might come from that kind of a relationship and scale it up to help our distant students uh, find those types of connections for the campus, uh, whether that connection and that support and that challenge is delivered via distance or face-to-face, -face, it's still, we can take what we know about the content and just apply it in a different environment. Um, so instead of getting wrapped up in whether one is better than another, let's start trying and experimenting and innovating with new ways to connect with distant students until we find a, a rhythm and an approach that might work as we, that we could scale up on an institutional level. So I think as our campuses uh, add more and more distant and students, um, the chance to experiment um, will be knocking on our door very soon. Um, and so for all of us in student affairs, um, taking the chance to try new things, um, now's the time. And you know, even experimenting with um, online tools for the student organizations that we advise is something we're doing in my office right now. So over the summer months, we don't see much of them. Um, how do we continue the advising relationship even during the summer? Um, so even something as simple as you know, hosting online executive board meetings um, is you know, no um, real revolution, but how do I uh, serve them as an advisor in that context is something that I need to think 
think about and maybe reframe my role to be able to do. So as far as preparation, I just think it's uh, let's stop thinking about our roles as um, having to stop uh, because a student is attending uh, via distance. Instead, let's think about the distance environment um, as that chapter discusses and think about how we can apply our new roles in new ways. Okay, great, great. So that's, I think that that's, uh, I think that that's a, a great insight. Um, Lindsay, I wonder uh, to sort of directly get to, uh, to sort of directly get to, you know, the topic of this particular podcast, I wonder, you know, how can we build structure for mentorship, advising and coaching around campus that is supportive of student leadership development? Sure, great question. I think first thing is recognizing that we will meet specific student leadership outcomes through mentoring, coaching, and advising. So when we decide to include mentoring, coaching, and advising as part of our leadership development initiatives, we need to be we need to be direct about identifying which leadership outcomes will be impacted by virtue of that. I think so often we as leadership educators with well intentions to create a leadership program, we say, well, let's, let's do some peer coaching. and Let's do some peer mentoring. I think that'd just be great. Uh, that'd be a great addition. And we, and we all agree, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. But we never articulate what exactly we hope to be gained by virtue of adding that element to any leadership program or leadership initiative. Additionally, oftentimes very little thought is given to how will we prepare and train the mentors, the coaches, the advisors, how will we give them opportunities to grow and develop and reflect uh, to make sure that we are indeed not just saying, oh, we're, yeah, we're going to include peer mentoring as part of this leadership initiative, but rather how do we make sure that we are establishing the best environment for that mentoring relationship to be successful. So I think a there are a couple really key considerations. One is selection. Not everyone's a great mentor, not everyone's a great coach, not everyone's a great advisor. So we need to be thinking, okay, as, if we're intentional about identifying those leadership outcomes, leadership learning outcomes that we expect to be impacted from mentoring, coaching, and advising, how can we go about being intentional about selecting those who, are, who have the talent set to help meet student needs in those outcome spaces? Additionally, I think we have to be intentional about training mentors, coaches, and advisors for specifically the type of developmental interaction we're asking them to do. We shouldn't uh, promise mentoring but deliver coaching. Does that make sense? So if, I, if I'm including peer mentoring as part of a leadership development initiative, I probably need to be preparing my mentors to recognize that this relationship will be long-term. It will include both formal and informal aspects, as in you, you will be doing some personal development work with these students as well as leadership empowerment. Whereas if I'm training peer coaches, I'm training them to get into leadership behavior modification. How can we take what the student learned through leadership, for example, or this three-day leadership retreat, how can we take the leadership learning from that three-day retreat and help a student I create and identify a personal plan for transferring that learning to then their, the way that they go about exercising their leadership behaviors. Additionally, with advisors, you know, oftentimes, especially with new student organizations, sometimes we look for faculty who are 
you know, any faculty who will just serve as an advisor rather than think through intentionally, okay, if, if ultimately part of the advising for this is developing leadership capacity within especially students who take on leadership roles, how do we make sure that those advisors who are maybe chemists or agronomists, how do we make sure that we help them understand what part of their advising duties will involve leadership development? and providing them the necessary training on that. Uh, the last thing that I think is going to be really important is giving mentors, coaches, and advisors the chance to develop themselves and reflect for themselves throughout this process. So for example, with Nebraska Human Resources Institute here at the University of Nebraska, all of my college student leaders who mentor, they get together in small groups every single week and they talk about what they did with their mentee that week. It's really a chance for them to sharpen each other as mentors, to talk through, like, hey, what talents did you see in your mentee this week? How can you go about sharpening those through your one-on-one -on -one this upcoming week? Uh, so I, I think just as important as it is to train them on the front end, it's also really important for them to have a regular reflective opportunity uh, throughout their experience. All righty. So I, I was hoping that maybe we could, uh, we could close with uh, what I would describe as an impossible question to answer, uh, to answer fully. Um, but I thought maybe uh, you know, uh, both of y'all would be willing to, to wade in these waters with me. So I know that Mentorship, coaching, and advising can be drivers in positive and negative steps in the journey towards equity on college campuses. Um, and so I wonder, how do you all imagine we can go about rethinking approaches in this area for an increasingly inclusive student community? And maybe, Cindy, you could start. Sure. Um, you know, there's a chapter in our volume um, that was written by Anne-Marie Vaccaro and Melissa Camba-Kilsey that addresses this topic really well. Um, and they, they kind of build on what Lindsay uh, mentioned about the training and support that we offer to folks taking on these roles. Uh, but they framed it specifically as um, you know, a call for the need for cultural competence in each of these roles. And I love the way they emphasize this as a you know, developmental experience for the mentors, coaches, and advisors in order to do just what you described. Um, and they say that if we are going to be successful um, in these mentoring, uh, coaching, and advising roles, that you know, the self-awareness on the part of the mentors, advisors, and coaches toward um, cultural competence is a place we have to be. Uh, but, you know, Lindsay mentioned the, the promises that we make to students, and I, I think about you know, students of you know, all student populations that need these mentors, coaches, and advisors, and um, so often that we think that that's a solution um, to help our students succeed is if we just match them with a mentor, everything will be fine. Um, but if we were to match them with a mentor that needs um, a lot of development in the area of cultural competence themselves. Um, even though we've decided we're, uh, we're doing good by making this match, um, I have to ask you know, how much good we are doing if we can't offer that student a culturally competent mentor in that situation. Um, the goal of empowering our students and developing leadership, you know, we need them um, to develop skills to develop their own inclusive communities once they, they leave us. And even while they're here, um, they, student leaders play such a big role in developing inclusive community that um, the chance to use these relationships that we're describing uh, in applying them then to the students taking on their own leadership roles and building these culturally competent relationships with others uh, is such an important link in the process that we're all setting out to do. Uh, we need these students to be successful in our diverse communities. And uh, the more we can pay attention to this ourselves, um, the better off our students will be. Mm -hmm. 
I think that was really powerful, Cindy. The only thing I would add to that is one of the most uh, powerful challenge moments for me in the writing of this volume when I uh, read the chapter that Cindy was referring to. What really challenged me was the idea that we need to recognize as mentors, coaches, and advisors that every student we work with has a complex identity. Every student mm -hmm. does. I, I have always thought to myself, well, if I just love my students enough, if I am highly skilled enough as a mentor, then it will be okay if we have differences in different elements or facets of our identities. And what really challenged me about this particular chapter was for me to think like, hey, it's going to be really important for me as a mentor to help a student unpack the complexity of their identities and then think through what are some additional mentors who can help them develop certain elements of their identity that we may differ on, but that student might be really uh, developed by and uh, personally developed and empowered as a leader through being mentored by someone who shares a particular facet of their identity. Uh, so I've also learned too that, hey, there's not a one-size-fits-all mentor and even a really highly skilled mentor who's really good at developing positive relationships with students still needs to recognize that, hey, we're dealing with every student with a complex identity and we need to make sure that every element of that complexity um, is, is met with other mentoring and coaching and advising resources. Mm -hmm. All righty. Well, that is that – that is great information, great information to have and uh, a wonderful context and another layer of consideration to, to a really valuable issue. So thanks everyone for joining us for the NASA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASA Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community and thanks to Dr. Cindy Kane and Lindsay Hastings. Their issue of New Directions and Student Leadership is available now from Jassy Bath. You can get more information about the KC in our various social media outlets, including Facebook at facebook.com backslash SALead, on Twitter at NASA SLPKC, on Instagram at NASA underscore SLPKC. And finally, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, we'd love to hear your, about your program. So please shoot an email over to nastaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Cindy and Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, you